Would you stand with me another time this morning and let's look to our text this morning. Jonah chapter 10, I'm sorry, Jonah chapter 3 verses 1 through 10. And I will read this to you. And we'll ask the Lord to bless our study of this third chapter of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. And God saw what they did. How they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them. And He did not do it. Let's pray. Father, what? An amazing text this is. It's the thing we long for. It's the thing we long to see in this world, in our community. And we long to see you work in us as you did with Jonah. Your grace has indeed appeared to us bringing salvation for all people. Father, I ask You this morning that through Your Word You would cause Your grace to train us to renounce our ungodliness and worldly passions and to learn to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And to have hearts that are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Father, we want our lives to reflect this text. So do a work in us by Your grace. Prepare us to be faithful servants who are transformed by Your grace, speaking Your Word in truth, 
and seeing great spiritual awakening in our community. We pray this for our rejoicing. We pray this for the exaltation of Jesus Christ. We pray this for your glory. In the name of Jesus, our mediator, we pray. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. This morning we come to maybe what we could see as the climax of the book of Jonah. Chapter 3, we find one of the greatest spiritual awakenings in human history. Do you read or listen to accounts of spiritual awakening? Have you? As many down through the ages, you can read accounts of the great awakening here in the United States in the early days. You can read and listen even to accounts of the Welsh revival, the Great Awakening there. It's amazing things to think about what God does. And certainly God awakens individual hearts all throughout human history. And there's in a sense a revival every time, an awakening every time someone comes to Christ and salvation. But certain times God sends great periods of awakening where people come to salvation. Yahweh, in this text, brings an entire city of pagan people to repentance and rescues them from His own just judgment by showing them great mercy. Our God delights in doing this. God takes great delight in showing steadfast love. I want to read you again this verse that I'll probably read it again throughout our time of studying Jonah. Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance? He does not retain His anger forever because He delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. As we ready our hearts to receive the message this morning from Jonah 3, let me ask you some questions. Do you have a heart that beats with God's heart for the salvation of sinners just like you and me? I mean, really think about that. Does your heart long to see people saved? Do we live among people every day of our lives, don't we? Do we long to see our children saved? Do we long to see those with whom we work daily saved? Our families, our extended family, our neighbors. When we look at people all around us, do we think, Lord, will you save them? Do you think about all of the people around the world who are each day engaging in pagan religious rituals and practices of wickedness. There are many ways in which we live in a protected bubble. If we could only see for a few moments all of the pagan religion that is going on daily around the world and the life of wickedness that permeates the world, we would be in awe and we would be 
even more amazed at the grace of God to restrain our own wicked hearts. Do you think of those who do not even know the name of Yahweh or the message of His salvation because they do not even have the Word of God to read and understand? They have the heavens. They see the sun. But no Scripture. They don't know the name of Jesus. They don't know about the cross. The only thing they know is they have this sense of guilt and the the law witnesses to their conscience and their heart condemning them or excusing them and then they seek to find some way to appease some sort of God of their own making. That's their life. And of course, there's no relief in that. There are people like this all over the world this morning. Do you think of them? We have before our eyes even currently a powerful reminder of the need for salvation as we turn on our morning news, don't we? Do you long for the salvation of the Israelite people? Do you long for the salvation of the Hamas people? The only way lasting peace will come to Israel or anywhere else in the world is by their turning to the Messiah. Does your heart groan for the salvation of people right around you here in Delta County. Think of that. In Escanaba, in Gladstone, Rapid River, wherever you live. Do you see the false religion that is right around us? Do you think on it? Do you see the pagan thinking? Do you see the wicked lifestyles? Do you see the futile responses to daily decisions? Do you see the slavery to sin? The hopelessness in all of it? Do you see it daily? Do you yearn for Yahweh to save and forgive and cleanse and restore and cause to rejoice these people right around us? Just as He has caused you and I to rejoice in His grace. Do you want that for them? Do you want the name of Jesus and the work of the cross to be on the lips of those who walk the Delta County Mall. Think of that. Do you long for a great spiritual awakening to take place in our community? Do you believe that God can do this? Do you pray for it? Do you prepare for it? Do you pursue it by God's gracious provision? Brothers and sisters in Christ, our God has brought spiritual awakening to communities before at various times and various places. He can do it again. He did it in Nineveh. He can do it here. Because salvation, what? Belongs to the Lord. That's the message of Jonah. What will we see? Here's a question that we can ask as we begin to look through Jonah chapter 3. What will we see when God causes a great spiritual awakening to happen in a community? What are we looking for? What will we see? Let's look at it first here in Jonah's day. This great awakening. And then apply it to our own lives and time. The text unfolds again very nicely as we look at the main actions that take place throughout the text. Number one in your outline. 
Yahweh sent His Word. Yahweh sent His Word. Verses 1 and 2. Then the Word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now this is a wonderful thing we come to here. The second time. What does that speak of? Doesn't that speak of the patience of God? A second time. God is patient and persistent. Who is He patient and persistent with? With Jonah. With rebellious, running from His face Jonah. God didn't choose a different man. How patient and kind God is. God didn't choose a different man. God didn't change His plan. Maybe sometimes Jonah may have expected that, or maybe we do. Well, if I, if I don't obey right away, God will see this is too difficult, and so he'll, he'll figure out something easier for me to do. God didn't change his plan. As soon as Jonah was spit out from the mouth of the fish, that's right where he came from, right? God said again, now a second time, here's the word. Go. Arise and go and speak this word to Nineveh. The, the, the plan hadn't changed. God didn't give up on Jonah. God didn't give up on Nineveh. He delights to be gracious and patient and save people in spite of themselves. God is a gracious God of second chances. We say that easily, don't we? That's almost cliche. God is a God of second chances. But it's true. In fact, second chances? Third chances? I mean, God is so patient and persistent in His saving work. Psalm 138.8, the Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Jonah, I'm certain, was so glad that God did not forsake the work of His hands. Are you? I think of the testimony of Paul in 1 Timothy 1, 12-17. Paul speaks of the patience of the Lord. I thank Him, Paul says, who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent opponent. But I received mercy. Because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience. As an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life, to the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Our God is such a God of patience. And He'll take Jonah again this second time and give him the Word and use him. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion of the day of Christ. And there's another reason that there's this second message, this second time, is because not only is God patient, but God's patience is coupled together with His power. It's not just God standing there waiting endlessly for, for a human being to get it together. While God is patient with our sin and our rebellion and our running, He's also powerful to work in us. His intention was to save Nineveh. His intention was to use Jonah. And nothing can thwart his purposes. 
That's why the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Nothing can thwart his purposes. He irresistibly worked in Jonah's life to prepare him to go as a vessel carrying his word to Nineveh. And it's so glorious to note here that God will not even be thwarted by our sin to fulfill, to fulfill his purposes in us and through us. Why? Because he's powerful. That doesn't give us excuse for our sin, but know that God is powerful to overcome and change us as his servants. And he is patient with us. And his word comes again. Again, I think of Job's experience. Job 42.2, I know, God, that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. So we see here the second time. We see also the saving mission. Again, it comes to Jonah here. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Before Jonah's eyes is the same intimidating, dangerous, pagan city, the thought of which still tempts him to bitterness and anger, certainly. You, you know that, that there's more work to be done in Jonah's life because of the way chapter 4 goes. We'll get there, Lord willing, next week. But it's the same city. God didn't, God didn't send Jonah to somewhere nice and comfortable. Still Nineveh. And before Jonah's mind is the same task to expose the wickedness of the city by preaching the Word of God to them. Above Jonah is the same sovereign God. The same God commanding him to rise and go. What's the difference in this scenario? The only difference is Jonah. His heart has changed. Jonah has been through a process of God's transforming grace. What's happened to Jonah since he ran from God? He's been humbled, right? He's been humbled greatly. He has seen his sin for what it is. He has keenly experienced the chastening of a holy God against his sin. He has never been brought so low. He has powerfully felt his own need for deliverance. He's come to see himself, well, a little closer. Maybe he's not quite there yet, but a little closer to being on the same level of sinfulness and need as the Ninevites. He should. We all should. He has himself cried out to God for mercy and grace. He's experienced God's powerful answer to revive his own heart and restore him. He's a sinner in need of mercy and grace who has been prepared by God to speak a message to others who are in need of mercy and grace. And that's, that's the mission, and we have a different Jonah. And so therefore, God gives to him the specific message. Notice what it says at the end of verse 2 there. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call it against it, the message that I tell you. I want you to compare uh, Chapter 1, verse 2, with chapter 3, verse 2. Look at chapter 1, verse 2. God says to Nineveh, Arise, or God says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come up before me. And then you see chapter 3, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, the message that I tell you. <coughs> I think God is pressing in a little more. A little more persistently here, a little more emphatically, 
that Jonah must do exactly what he has told him and say the very thing that he's given him to say. There's no wavering here. Tell them exactly what I want you to tell them. Give them the very words that I'm going to give you. Preach to them my very own word. Jonah isn't allowed to preach to the city anything that comes to his mind. He's not on his own here. There is one and only one thing that he must say. The message that God will tell him. So, what will we see when God causes a great spiritual awakening to happen in a community? What can we deduce from this story? One thing is, is we will see the servants of God transformed by God's grace. That comes first. Jonah had to be transformed by God's grace before he could be a useful vessel to God, speaking the message as God would have him to. He must speak then the Word of God alone. These are, these are two marks of God's spiritual great awakenings. Servants transformed by God's grace and speaking the Word of God alone. It is so because salvation belongs to the Lord. Number two this morning, what else do we see happening here? Number two, Jonah obeyed Yahweh's Word. Verses three and four, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go out into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. First of all, letter A in your outline, Jonah went to Nineveh. Again, compare chapter 1 with chapter 3, because this is the second time, right, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So Jonah in chapter 1 receives the word, but verse 3, chapter 1, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But now, chapter 3, verse 3, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Jonah's current response to the word of the Lord is indicative of a true change. He's doing the exact opposite of what he did before. Jonah has returned to a life of repentance. Before he ran from the presence of the Lord to Joppa, then to Tarshish. That was his attempt. And now he immediately rose and went. Jonah did, notice in the text of chapter 3, Jonah did exactly what the word of the Lord commanded him to do. God says, arise and go. Jonah arose and went. I love the exact specificity there. Rise and go. He arose and went. Unquestioning, unflinching obedience is what is required of God's servants if they are going to be used by Him in His saving, spiritual, awakening work. Rise and go. I'm on my way. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1, Paul makes this confession. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Jonah went to Nineveh. Letter B, Jonah entered Nineveh. Jonah entered Nineveh. It's interesting how the wording changes and becomes more descriptive and more intimidating in a sense here. Because Jonah's walking up to this 
metropolis, this intimidating great city. How many times does it say in these, in these chapters that Nineveh was a great city? And now it says here that it was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, and yet nothing would deter Jonah from obeying God's Word and preaching God's Word. Not even the exceeding greatness of the city that loomed larger than life as Jonah drew near to Nineveh. Jonah was indeed a changed servant of Yahweh. He feared, I think this is why, now he feared the Lord more than he feared man. Servants whom God uses to preach His Word and spiritually awaken other sinners to God's salvation are not men and women who never struggle with fear. That's not it at all. They are those who have learned to fear God more than they fear men. That's the key. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3-5 through Even Paul confesses this. And I was with you in weakness and in fear, and much trembling. The church of Corinth was a bit intimidating to Paul. They were, a, they were a fighting, conflicted, proud, divisive church. And so when he went there, wow, who likes conflict? Well, maybe some people do, but here's the point. He, was, he came to them in weakness and fear and much trembling. Beyond that, Paul was not well. Right? We read of the accounts of this, this dear apostle brother who was stoned and beaten and left for dead and so on. Of course he had issues. In fact, he had a doctor traveling with him all the time. And yet, my speech, my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. You see, it's not that God's servants don't fear great cities when they walk up to them. It's that they fear God more. And certainly, Jonah's experience in the last however many days it was in his life, he had learned to fear the Lord. He had seen the power of God. He experienced it firsthand. He knew what it was like to run from God and experience the powerful chastening hand of Yahweh and the powerful rescuing hand of Yahweh as his heart turned to repentance. He didn't need to fear people anymore because the Lord was with him. 2 Corinthians 5.11, this is what Paul says as well, therefore knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now it's interesting, the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord's judgment upon the sinners must drive us to or unbelieving sinners because we're all sinners, but those who are yet unrepentant must drive us to call them to repentance because they're going to be objects of God's wrath if they do not. And yet, also, knowing the fear of the Lord, we do persuade others because God is great. And He is in us and with us. Like Jesus said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. So going in the confidence of the fear of the Lord, then let her see Jonah preached to Nineveh. Jonah walked nearly to the center of the city. If it was three days in journey, uh, journey in breadth, then a day in is certainly getting to the center. Jonah preached then the exact message that God had given to him. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I, I don't know exactly if that was a summary statement that described in 
and kind of represented the message that Jonah spoke, but it could be the very message, and that's it. What a sermon! And it says something to us, doesn't it? Jonah preached a very short, I need to learn from Jonah, a very short, very simple, very clear, very indicting message, right? 40 days and your city will be overthrown. Overthrown is the same word, by the way, that's used in Genesis 19 of Sodom and Gomorrah. Overthrown. Wow. Jonah did not change anything. Jonah didn't add or take away from the message. That is a very important thing to understand. That's part of why God said to him at the end of verse 1, the message that I tell you. What's the message? Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The Apostle Paul had this heart as well as he preached the Gospel, the law and the Gospel. He did not mess with it. He says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 2, but we have dis renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This verse is inestimably valuable. Most people, most people who profess to be Christians and go out into the community and speak the Gospel, Tamper with the message. It's true. We can't. It's God's gospel. We have to give it just the way He tells us. We have to trust in God's sovereignty to do the work in the heart, even with a message that is very hard to hear. So often we try to buy the listening ear of the world with fleshly appeal. And so, in so doing, we embrace a disgraceful, underhanded way with the Gospel. It's like, I want you to think the Gospel's like this, but actually, I'll just kind of whisper it to you after this wonderful, awesome event is over that makes you feel good. No! Give the Gospel clearly. We must. This is, this is how Jonah did it. This is how God commands us. When we mess with the Gospel, we run the risk of giving people a sense of false assurance. And we end up not leading them to Christ at all. And they think they're saved because they've signed a card and they've signed their name and so on. And they live the way they've always lived. We must not do this. Jonah was so moved and so changed as God's servant that he was committed to preach the message that God told him. By an open statement of the truth, he preached. What will we see when God causes a great awakening to happen in a community? You'll see servants obeying the Word of God. You'll see servants of God fearing God more than men. You'll see servants of God speaking the simple and direct message of God without tampering with it. These are marks of God's work of spiritual awakening. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, when God sends His Word, and when God's servant is changed and obedient, 
And when God's servant preaches the very message that God has given, what does God do? Number three, Nineveh is awakened. Wow. This, this, <laughs> these verses 5 through 9 are absolutely stunning to think what God can do. It is indeed an amazing account of massive spiritual awakening. And notice, it wasn't just a few people at the gate of Nineveh. Jonah's halfway into the city, and he's preaching, and people are changing. And the word gets to who? The king of Nineveh. And he makes this legal proclamation. And the whole city is on their knees before God. God spiritually awakened the citizens of Nineveh and saved them because salvation belongs to the Lord. Now there are three overarching signs of true spiritual awakening that will always be present when God is truly at work in a people to save them. We see them right here in this section of Jonah 3. Letter A, first, Nineveh believed God. Nineveh believed God. What did they believe? They believed God. I love how this says that. It's a very interesting phrase. I feel like I'm expecting it to say, and the people of Nineveh believed God's Word. But it's more personal than that. They actually believed God. They believed that the Word Jonah was speaking to them was indeed the very Word of God. And they believed that to believe that Word was to believe God Himself. There was no distance between the words that Jonah spoke and God Himself speaking to them. They believed God. They took the Word of God seriously. True spiritual awakening begins when sinners receive God's Word as the Word of the living God and believe Him. Think how different our community and culture is from that. The Word of God is the object of scorn and laughing by and large, right? All of a sudden, the Word of God is taken seriously. It doesn't matter even how difficult the message is to hear or receive for the sinner. We admit it. The message isn't easy. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I mean, I can't imagine a, a message more difficult to hear than the one that Jonah delivered to Nineveh. Can you? You Ninevites have 40 days left to live on the earth. And then God will put the shovel of His judgment into the foundations of your city and turn it over and you will all be damned. That's what He was telling them. That's not pleasant. That's not affirming. Is it? This is great awakening is what this is. That is a message hard to hear. It's not a feel-good message at all. That is a message that is hard to believe for a hardened sinner who only believes and sees all that he sees. <laughs> and the massive wall... I'm sorry, let me say that again. That is a message that is hard to believe for a hardened sinner who only believes what he sees. And when all that sinner sees is the, hard, or the, the massive walls of, of Nineveh all around him. Well, that would... That would seem like a fairy tale, wouldn't it? The Ninevites could have responded like Lot's sons-in-law. Remember? 
So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, Up! Get out of this place! For the Lord is about to destroy the city! But he seemed to his sons-in-law to be what? Joking. Not with Nineveh. They heard Jonah. That guy's not joking. That's God. He's speaking to us through the prophet. They believed God. The Ninevites were like the Thessalonians. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. What is a sign of great awakening? When those who hear the word of God and are convicted by they take God's word seriously. They believe it. Secondly, letter B. Nineveh repented of sin. Wow, is this a, an expression of repentance? They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word even reached the king and he rose from his throne and removed his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, issued a proclamation. Let neither man nor beast nor herd or flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. What do you see here? This is repentance. It's fasting. Sackcloth. All of these all of these cultural expressions of grief over sin, mourning over sin, fasting, sackcloth. The king removes his royal robe. This is no time for majesty from a sinful, wicked, violent king. This is time for humiliation. Covered with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he proclaimed the fast. I mean, they were so intense about this even the animals, right? No eating, no drinking. Put sackcloth on the animals. What is this compared to Israel even in Jonah's context? Talk about intense grief over sin and godly repentance. Call out mightily to God. Everyone. Turn and, and specific Turn from his evil ways, not just generally, but what? The violence. What was, what was Assyria known for? Their violence against the nations around them. What is all of this? These are the true marks of genuine repentance. Right here. Eager confession of specific sin. Do you see it? Eager confession of specific sin. Intense mourning over sin. When someone realizes their sin for what it is, they're not happy about it. They mourn over it. They see how they've, how, how they've hurt others and God. Earnest call to others to participate. Don't you see how sinful you are too? Join me. That's what the king's doing. Eager confession of specific sin. Intense mourning over sin. Earnest call to others to participate. Fearful prayer to God for mercy and forgiveness. 
call out mightily to God. A desire to turn from, I'm sorry, um, zealous desire to turn from specific sin. Turn from evil ways and from violence. See, here's the thing. One of the, when we think about spiritual awakening, we must think about it as something that we cannot do for ourselves. We don't have it in our pocket that we can take out and use whenever we wish. Even on an individual level, when there has been two people that have sinned against each other and they're seeking reconciliation and a rebuilding of trust and the granting of forgiveness, you can't just do that and it be real and genuine. You know what needs to come first? Godly grief over the sin committed. We can't just turn that on. That's the, that's the uniqueness of, of true and real spiritual awakening as it begins with this intense godly grief over sin. That's what we need. That's what we need. Where there is no true godly grief and repentance from sin, there's no spiritual awakening. But where there is spiritual awakening, there will always be true godly grief and repentance from sin. And of course, this humbles all of us because we look at our own hearts and say, do I truly grieve over my sin the way I ought? What's the answer to that? No, no one does. But is it there at all? Do we grieve over our sin? This is the mark of spiritual awakening. It's a divine work, dear ones, to grant true repentance. That's something we can conjure up. Jesus called sinners to repentance. Luke 5.32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Luke 15.7, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance or think they do not. Repentance should be proclaimed in our message. Luke 24, 46-47, Jesus said, Thus it is written, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus was exalted as King of kings and Lord of lords to give repentance to sinners. Acts 5.31 God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God grants repentance as a gift. Acts 11.18 When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. God's goodness leads a sinner to repentance. Romans 2 and verse 4 or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Again, God grants repentance. 2 Timothy 2.25 God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And God desires sinners to come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Godly grief over sin and repentance 
from sin are an essential mark of true spiritual awakening. That's what Jesus even taught. Blessed are the what? poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What are we poor in spirit about? We realize we have nothing to offer God to merit His forgiveness and eternal life. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What about, about what do we have to mourn? Our sinfulness before God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We are starved of righteousness. And when we come to Christ by repentance, He feeds us even His own. Repentance was seen in the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 7, 8-11, through 11, this text is an amazing description of true godly grief and repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, 8-11. through 11. We're going to talk about it one day, Lord willing, soon. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you fell to godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. God granted repentance to the Thessalonians. Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. For they themselves report how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Even the Pentecost crowd. What an amazing story of awakening. Spiritual awakening is there. Now when they heard this, when they heard Paul's me- or Peter's message, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the gift, forgiveness of sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whenever God brings spiritual awakening, it is always accompanied by godly grief and genuine repentance towards sin. So, Nineveh believed God. Nineveh repented of their sin. Not only that, but then, let us see, Nineveh trusted God. Verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we may not perish. What is that but hope? In God. Isn't it? Sure, it may be very immature, childlike faith, but it is still genuine faith granted by God for spiritual awakening and salvation. Nineveh here, even just this little section in verse 9, you can see that Nineveh was convinced of the holiness, righteousness, and justice of Yahweh. Notice, he may turn from his fierce anger. They understood who God was in his holiness. They understood his hatred for sin and wickedness. They got it. Nineveh was convinced of this holy, righteous, just God who is angry with the wicked every day. But Nineveh was also convinced of their sin and the just punishment they deserved. 
Look at what they said at the end of the verse. So that we may not what? Perish. They knew what was deserving in, of their sin. But Nineveh then was also convinced that God was merciful and that they, they, they then cast themselves in hope upon his mercy alone. So he says, who knows? God may turn and relent. He may, so let's, let's hope in him. Let's cast ourselves upon his mercy. Maybe they heard of the stories of the past in which God was merciful to those who had turned from their sin to trust in him. Maybe they heard about Rahab. How she turned and hoped in the Lord. Whatever it was, God was at work in the hearts of the Ninevites to hope in his mercy and throw themselves upon his kindness to deliver them from the wrath to come. I think of Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple. The one thought he was righteous and deserving of God's gifts. The other said, what? God. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. What will we see? when God causes a great spiritual awakening to happen in a community? Belief in God, repentance from sin, and a trust in God's mercy. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, finally this morning, how did God respond to the gracious work of spiritual awakening that he had wrought in the hearts of the Ninevites? The same way that God always responds to the one in whose heart he is working. Number four, Yahweh showed mercy. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. God always responds mercifully to the work of repentance and faith that he accomplishes in the heart of a humbled sinner. He never turns that one away. If God is at work, certainly he will receive the one who is repentant and faithful. It's like what John 6.37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. That's the saving work of God. So first of all, Yahweh saw when God saw what they did. What a precious phrase. God saw this. Those are amazing words. This city, and nor do we, nor any other city, deserves for God to turn and look and see repentance and humility and a cry for salvation. Don't deserve that. To think that the holy God of heaven would stoop in such mercy and kindness and grace to see the feeble and flawed responses of a city full of sinners. And yet he does. Yahweh sees. Yahweh looks. He's tender-hearted. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne. 
and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isn't that amazing? God looks to that one and receives him. The one who is humble, contrite in spirit, trembles at the word of God. That was Nineveh, wasn't it? For you will not delight in sacrifice, David says in Psalm 51, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. This is our saving God. He sees, He looks, and He shows mercy. He is kind and gracious. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let her be, Yahweh relented. Yahweh relented. He saw how they turned and Yahweh, God, relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. He did not do it. Can you imagine the calendar of the Ninevites after Jonah spoke? Forty days. Forty days. I bet you they were counting off the days, don't you? And it didn't feel like Christmas at all. Forty days coming. Could you imagine the intensity of that? Day 38. Day 39. I mean, wow. Really. Can you imagine then the relief and rejoicing when the 40th day came and went? Wow. What an amazing celebration when the city opened their eyes to the light of the sun on day 41. Joy! Overwhelming! Our prayers. What, what must have been their prayers? Their prayers going up. Their praises going up. Did they sing? They probably didn't know how to sing. They probably just made a bunch of racket. Wow! Look, we're here! God has shown us mercy. Yahweh relented. He's been kind to us. He's been merciful. He's forgiven. I mean, from laughter to tears to, to fear to gratitude. Day 41, and here we are. God has been so kind. It was Nineveh's turn to pray Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Your ears be attentive. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Nineveh was not overturned, but Nineveh was certainly overwhelmed with the grace of God. And we should be overwhelmed at such mercy and grace, shouldn't we? We're not overturned. 
but there's no way for a people to be so amazed and overwhelmed unless first they see the sinfulness of their sin. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Otherwise, your heart's turn, heart turns bitter against God for saying that he will so judge, right? That's the beginning. To see truly the sinfulness of our sin and to mourn and grieve over it. To see the holiness of God for, for what he is. To see the justice of God's judgments. And then to see the mercy and kindness of his salvation. You will not appreciate such salvation if you do not see these things. In fact, you will detest God and despise his salvation. That's the way it is. That's what we hear from the world so often. How many critics are there who read through the Bible and say, look, see God slaughters people. What's the big flaw there? You don't see the sinfulness of your sin. It does not ring true to them that the wages of sin is what? Death. You will never believe that and be settled with it until we truly see the holiness of God and the sinfulness of human sin. That's, that's where true spiritual awakening begins. And then, then you are delighted in the mercy of God. And you have something to sing about. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let us see, finally. Yahweh saves. And why did I put this? We've come to the end of the chapter. Yahweh saves. Why does our God do things like this? Why? How does he show, why does he show mercy and pass over sin and judgment to repentance and trusting sinners? How can he do things like this anyway? How can he forgive and relent like this and not violate his own justice? That's the question. Right? That's part of what, what Jonah was struggling with too, right? And the nation of Israel. Look at, this. Look at this city, God. You must judge them. You say true and just are your judgments. How can you just forgive them? How can you pass over their iniquities like this? What's the answer? Yahweh saves. And whose name means that? Jesus. You see, the answer is in Romans 3, 21 through 26. God does not violate his own righteousness or justice by overlooking transgression, relenting from judgment and forgiving sin. How is it so? But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to us, to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, Nineveh. Right? That's this. That's exactly what it's referring to. Nineveh and many others. That was to show his righteousness at the present time 
The giving of Christ on the cross was to show His righteousness at the present time so that God the Father might be shown to be both just and the one who justifies those who believe in Jesus. The only way that God in the life of Nineveh can justify these wicked people and still be just is by deferring their punishment to Christ on the cross and then granting them everlasting life. That's it from cover to cover in the Bible, dear ones. Right? The cross is something that is timeless. God did this in the Old Testament because worthy is the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. This is done. And therefore God is just to justify the Ninevites. And to all of us who trust in him, thanks be to Christ our Savior. Salvation is indeed of the Lord. In closing, how shall we take this chapter to heart? And I believe we have in many ways already. There are so many, to give you a few implications and some applications, it'll just be a few more minutes. There's so many spiritual experiences that people label as revival today, dear ones. Have you noticed? Especially nowadays, or we've seen a kind of a resurgence of this recently. And so much of it is nothing of the sort. True spiritual awakening sent by God looks very distinct. What are you looking for? Number one, spiritual awakening begins and ends with God. You see that in this chapter. God sent his word, and God was merciful. The chapter is completely surrounded with the work of God. Secondly, spiritual awakening begins with a change in God's people. Jonah had to go through some serious heart and life transformation, and so must we. Third, Spiritual awakening begins with the preaching of the Word of God. This is what we see here. And not just anything that's called the Word of God, but the very message that God gives. We see it in, you saw it in Jonah chapter 3 here. The preaching of God's Word. And not, not just from an elder on a Sunday, but all of God's people committed to speaking the Word of God just as it is. Four. Spiritual awakening is marked with a belief in God's Word. People are embracing God's Word. You see, Jonathan Edwards, during the the awakenings of early America, wrote a book to expose false conversion and false awakenings. So often, what accompanies awakening that is false is an emotional hype. And what we see first and foremost in biblical awakening is a belief in the Word of the living God. And then, fifth, spiritual awakening is marked with genuine repentance. See, that's what is most often missed. Because you can never, and you will never want to, falsely conjure up true godly grief and repentance over sin. That is the unmistakable mark of true repentance, or true, true spiritual awakening. 
It's marked with genuine repentance. Sixth, spiritual awakening is marked with trust and hope in God alone. Through Christ. Not hope in anything, but Christ, the true gospel. And seventh, spiritual awakening enjoys the mercy of God and praises him for it all. And so let us pray continually that God would grant to us a true spiritual awakening, even here, even at this time. Do you pray for that? I would encourage and exhort you to do so. And a few applications to consider. How do we take this home with us today? For the believer, one, let us praise God for his amazing salvation continually. Look at stories like this and let them turn your eyes to your own salvation and to the salvation of others and glorify God with a loud voice of praise. Secondly, trust God to save and, and, and redeem the hardest of hearts. Again, I want to encourage each of you with this. I know that each of you know folks that you've been praying for and witnessing to for many years and you have with me said of them, I don't see how this could ever happen. We've, we've said things like this. This person is never going to come to salvation unless a miracle happens. Right? We've said things like that. And of course, that's true on every, every time someone is saved. But when you look at stories like this and you understand who the Ninevites were in the culture of their day, you think, nothing is too hard for God. And a whole city... The king too. Take heart. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Thirdly, surrender your heart completely to the patient, powerful, changing work of God's grace in your life and walk as His obedient servant. That's the call to Jonah, right? That's the call to us. Waste no more time running from Him and His purposes in your life. If we live like Lot in the world, the world will respond to our message like His sons-in-law responded to His words. Think about that, right? I don't want that for my life. Do you want that for yours? We must learn to trust God for His grace and to change and to walk with God. And fourth, Speak God's word. Speak it plainly. Speak it directly. Speak it simply, boldly, obediently. Don't change the message. We've talked about it already. Fear God more than you fear men. Remember your primary audience is whom? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're, they will be with you. And five, again, pray for God to send spiritual awakening. And if you're here this morning and you're yet an unbeliever, you're not a child of God, you don't know that your sins are forgiven, you're still living in the city of Nineveh, as it were, I would say to you what we see from the life of the Ninevites. First, believe God's Word. Take this book seriously. It is the living Word of God. Trust God's Word. Believe Him. And ask God to grant you repentance over your sin. To see it for what it is. If you don't feel that right now, if you, don't, if you don't sense your own sin and have a grief over it, ask God to give it to you. You can open your eyes to your own sinfulness so that then you desire to throw yourself upon His mercy. 
You see, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve his eternal judgment because of the sinfulness of our sin. And yet, when he opens our eyes, he shows us with our sin his mercy. Behold the goodness and severity of God. Trust in God's mercy. Turn to Jesus Christ. He has all you need to be made right with God. He has righteousness for you. He has atonement. He has eternal life. And know that if you turn to God in Christ, he will respond to you in mercy because he's already begun to work in your heart. He will not turn away the work of his own hand. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and we confess to you that we, we do not grieve and mourn our own sin as we ought. Father, show us our hearts. And I do ask, Father, with, hum, with, with trembling that, that you would help us to see our sin for what it is, but not because we, we become overwhelmed by our sin in the doing of it. Show us our sin through the illumination of the Holy Spirit and the Word in our own hearts. Let us not shame your name or spoil our testimony, but let us see our sin for what it is. And Father, may we delight all the more in your mercy, your salvation. May we trust in your saving power, knowing that salvation belongs to you and you alone. Oh, Father, thank you for testimonies Stories like this gives us hope, gives us clarity and direction. And Father, we ask that you would send to us and our community a spiritual great awakening. We need it desperately. We pray for it earnestly. And it would be for your glory. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.